Blog Talk Radio. conversation and of course always look forward to all the guests we have during the course of the evening and as always Roy Cummings is in Tampa Florida what a, what a game they had on Monday night we'll chat about that obviously Roger Hendler is definitely in Atlanta 
We'll talk about what happened to Atlanta over the weekend as well. We'll also go to our executive producer, Frank Carroll. Frank, before we start, you've got a uh, very, very important dedication tonight. Yeah, John, um, one of the uh, contributors uh, for our Saturday night show is a guy we all have known for many, many years, a boxing uh, writer, uh, famous around the world. He's an author. He's a writer. In fact, he's president of the, the uh, National Boxing Writers Association, and that's our good friend Bernard Fernandez. Uh, unfortunately, Bernard is under the weather. Uh, he had a had a uh, had a spinal fusion back in uh, I believe it was June, and um, things have not gone the way they should. And now he's going to have to go back in again on uh, January 6th. Uh, on top of that, his wife's been diagnosed with inoperable cancer. Uh, oh, so that was a double blow to him today. So we'd like to ask our, our good, the good people that listen to this program, if they keep a good thought and if they do pray, please say a prayer for the Fernandeses. The other one that was a loss, a personal loss, was a, a good friend, uh, Miles Lane. Uh, Miles was a uh, an outstanding boxer in college. Um, in fact, he just missed the 61 Olympics uh, for boxing. But he went on to uh, be a deputy sheriff in Clark County he, and, and then went to law school, became an associate pro, uh, prosecutor, assistant district attorney, district attorney, and then spent the, the next 30 years on the bench in Clark County. In the meantime, his hobby was refereeing, uh, uh, refereeing uh, boxing around the world. He did many, many big, big fights. Uh, Miles was a very good uh, referee, never let anything get out of hand. Uh, typical Miles, uh, everything was right in front of him, and everything was controlled. So uh, his family, we sent out our deepest regards and uh, deepest sympathies for his passing. We sure no do. question, Frank. Absolutely. We add that to the list, and uh, also uh, uh, really look forward to uh, hearing a little bit more from Leo too, because I got an email from him on Monday, uh, continuing along with the progress. Roy probably knows more than any of us, but uh, let's get right to the show because Roy Cummings is standing by in uh, Tampa, Florida, as always. Uh, but Roy, before we get to the game on Monday night, which was really something to talk about for a half an hour, an hour, two hours. Uh, i got to talk a little bit at the top about baseball because they're blowing the lid right off the ceiling of, of Major League Baseball. <laughs> Judge, of course, signing today for $360 million. And what a find he had. He turned down 312 from the Yankees last year, played it out on a gamble, and he came out with a $360 million contract with the Yankees today. The Phillies are blowing the lid off. They've signed two big-time players. The Mets are doing the same thing. They signed last year's American League Cy Young Award winner. And, Roy, I'll tell you, there's no price limit anymore in baseball. <laughs> no, well, you know, it's it's really, you know, it's what the industry allows, guys. And, um, you know, the way, that, the way it is now, I mean, it's a, it's a $10, $12, $14 billion, billion dollar industry. And, uh, you know, baseball has not lost its uh, – it's charm among the fan base. Uh, that's obvious because the money is there to sign players to these kind of contracts. You know, let's not forget it's a, it's kind of almost a 50, 50 split here among the players and the owners. And if you can give out this kind of contract to a player, um, you know, 
great. Uh, what it means is that more people are watching the game, paying more to see the game, buying more, you know, not not just more tickets, but they're buying more uh, sodas and hot dogs at games. They're buying more jerseys and hats and T-shirts and, and shirts and uh, gear and things like that. And uh, and it's good for the game. You know, uh, you, the, the money's outrageous, but, um, you know, it, it's what the market allows. And to me, the great thing today is that uh, – you know, Aaron Judge didn't really chase the money. I mean, he had a $400 million offer on the table from the San Diego Padres and decided that, you know what, I'm, I'm going to stay where uh, where I'm at. I'm going to stay in New York and, uh, and try to win a championship with the Yankees. I mean, because that's really the next thing for him now. Is, okay, now you got to win a World Series in New York. And um, he's going to have an opportunity, obviously, because uh, that team is always going to be uh, spending to, to be the best it can. But uh, other teams are doing the same thing. And, you know, they've realized that uh, I like what the Phillies are doing. Obviously, you know, shortstop's been a spot for them that they've uh, struggled to find, a, uh, you know, an adequate, uh, you know, uh, place to player to fill in. And, and now they've got arguably the best in the, in the business at it. So uh, it, it's really tough if you're a Washington Nationals fan now to be looking down at Philadelphia and seeing that uh, uh, you had, uh, you know, you had Trey Turner. Uh, you had Bryce Harper. Uh, now they're both gone, and they're gone to Philly 100 miles away. So it's um, it's great. You know, Cubs even getting involved as well. So um, it's it, it's hot stove season, and as always, it's intriguing. Roger, uh, Philly signed up, uh, obviously, with Harper a few, three years ago and gave him that $300 million contract that everybody said, holy cow. But now they got three two $300 million <laughs> players, and they're still going. They signed a pitcher to go along with them. Yeah. Well, the, the, you know, Roy's 100% right, and you look uh, at uh, Harper, uh, I think he's also a uh, almost a GM because he's out there recruiting these players uh, to come to the Phillies. And uh, I know that uh, the uh, a couple of them have said that what uh, it really got them uh, on to the Phillies was what they saw during the postseason. And, Roy, the postseason just changed everything in, with the, back to the old culture with the Phillies and the fans. Because just think of the season tickets that have already been sold now for this uh, the 2023 season, that if they did not have that success, they would not have sold those tickets and it would have been status quo with maybe 20000 a night. Now you're going to have far more than that. It may get back to a lot of packed houses, especially with this team that they're building. But, uh, yeah, they got, they got uh, a couple of good pitchers. They got a starter. They got a reliever. And, uh, and, and you know, they, they got their shortstop. I think uh, Scott Stott will go to second base. And there's talk about, you know, a, a, a making a move at third base and even bringing Segura back. Uh, but who knows what will happen. But, uh, you know, you got to give uh, Bryce a lot of credit because he's out there recruiting these guys to come to Philadelphia. And, fellas, then you yeah. look over to New York, and uh, they signed a Cy Young Award from last year in the American League. Uh, I don't know. It, it, what was the 18-3? and three? I believe I don't have the number in front of you. I think it was 18-3 or 4. During the course of the season, did not pitch necessarily well in the championship series, but uh, now they've got two pitchers making what uh, thirty-three, thirty-four million dollars a year, but they still have a lot of holes in other places. So, 
Mr. Cohen's going to have to spend a lot more money, Roy, than he spent already. <laughs> yeah, it's probably true. You're right. Um, but, you know, look, uh, the Mets obviously are a team that felt as though they underachieved last year. Uh, they thought they should have been a little bit better, and they probably should have been. Injuries hurt them a little bit. But, um, you know, I think they're trying to just uh, make sure that they, you know, they've got the depth they need and uh, and the best players possible wherever they can. Obviously, they're in a window where they can win, and uh, much like the Phillies. And, you know, that's exactly what teams uh, – they're doing what teams who believe they're in that window do. You you go out there and you, you augment your team and, and you try to fill in some spots here and there. I mean, uh, I would I would strongly believe that Justin Verlander is an upgrade. But once you lose Jacob deGrom, you've got to get that upgrade. So, yeah. um, you know, you, you've got to add that piece. So him and Max Scherzer – uh that that's a that's a strong one too you lost taiwan walker uh you know to the phillies that's tough because you lose him to the phillies you know the team's uh the team that beat you out last year uh is is adding too as we've already pointed out so uh it's really interesting how you know the teams uh the teams are trying to, to set themselves up for next season and it's uh you can i mean right now you can already say i mean if if everything was status quo from here on uh, and everybody stay with it. It's already intriguing as to what uh, what the season's going to be like for a lot of these teams next year. So anxious to see it all start, that's for sure. And your Cubbies went with a win-win, one-year contract, good money, and a, a player trying to reestablish himself in 23. Yeah, that's always, uh, you know, you're right. It's a, That's a win-win usually. It's, uh, you know, there's not a lot of money on the table long-term. Uh, you hope that the player uh, plays uh, to the level of the contract or beyond, much beyond, in fact. And uh, there's a good chance that, uh, you know, Cody Bellinger can do that. He's, he's, the belief is that he's, he's healthy now. Um, you know, you start to see a little bit more of the Cody Bellinger from 2019 late last season. Uh, we'll see how it goes for them. But they also picked up a pitcher and Jamison Tyon from the Yankees. Um, and, and they've still got a – they're still looking at a shortstop. And, you know, you talked before about the, the recruiting uh, of Bryce Harper trying to get Trey Turner into Philadelphia, which worked out well. John Lester, uh, believe it or not, is trying to recruit uh, Xander Bogarts to Chicago. They both played together in in Boston, and uh, instead instead of trying to keep him in Boston, John John Lester is trying to recruit him for his uh, for his buddy David Ross, uh, now the manager of the Cubs, and get him to bring to, get him, get him to come to Chicago. So we'll see how it all works out. Well, hey, we touched hey, the surface of baseball, and uh, maybe Roger, you got one more comment before yeah, we switch I just over to football. To... Yeah, I wanted a couple of things. Uh, you know, Roy, uh, I believe John Lester is living in the Atlanta area. And uh, I believe that uh, his son was with the family uh, when I was uh, working this past summer uh, at Margaritaville as uh, as guest. And uh, I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that uh, that's the situation. And the other thing with the Braves is uh, the question about Dansby Swanson. You know, he hasn't signed with anybody, and it may be that, uh, you know, he goes back to the Braves even uh, for a short term, but I think he's going to get a, a long term. Uh, but th- the other thing is the, the uh, g- getting back to the uh, uh, teams that have signed all these players, the, uh, well, really the Phillies. Just think of what that Andy McPhail, Clintac, uh, uh, years with the Phillies did with non-development of talent and also non-performance 
at the big league level where it was like a 500 team. That was like not recognizing talent in the when the draft came along either or trade. That's exactly right, exactly right, Don. And it's really a shame. I mean, that was two to three years of just lost time in in that in that team. But that's well, that's and, my and, and what happens is you know now you literally pay the price for that. That's this right. is why. Yeah. It's so important, uh, you know, to to get it right in the draft, to develop players, uh, be patient, make sure you've got a good farm system. Uh, not only does it give you, uh, you know, something, assets that you can move to, to bolster your team through trades, but, you know, if the players that you pick up don't get it right, if they're, if they're not the right players, well, at some point you've got to, you know, you got to fit fill those holes and free agency is the way to do it. And if the hole is, you know, shortstop or center field or pitcher, it's going to cost you a lot of money. It's going to cost you $30 million a year. And um, it can be, that can be tough. I mean, but you know what, it is what it is. That's the way the game is played. It's the same with every sport. Um, free agency is what allows you to, uh, to fill the holes that you can't fill uh, through player development and drafting and, um, or trade. And, uh, when you get to you know you get to this point uh, you know in the in an off season, every team's looking to do it. That's what uh, well the, the contenders are. There's not necessarily yeah. You, know, you won't see the Tigers signing a whole bunch of guys. You won't see the uh, you know maybe the Marlins probably won't be signing a bunch of guys. But um, you will see teams like uh, Philadelphia and the Mets obviously uh, going toe to toe and head to head. You know trying to uh, outdo each other in terms of picking up these uh, assets that uh, that finish them off. Well, you're talking about toe-to-toe. Let's go back to Monday night. Uh, <laughs> one of the most amazing games you'd ever want to see. And, and uh, uh, I get your your thoughts first, Roy, before I make any comment or, or uh, you know, see what happens from Atlanta. But go ahead. You, you, you pick it up first. You know, the prevailing question out of that game was, did the Saints lose it or did the Bucks win it? And I think it's a bit of both. The, the Saints gave it away, and the, the Bucks won it because the Saints gave it away. That's, that's what happened. Um, you know, you, first of all, you, can't, you cannot give Tom Brady uh, two minutes plus down by a score or even two. You certainly can't give him four minutes uh, down by two scores because he's going to put the ball in the end zone somehow, some way. Uh, you know, 44 times now he's done this late in the fourth quarter, brought his team back, never from this kind of a deficit, 13 points down, and never that late did he score a game-winning touchdown. So it's amazing how Tom Brady continues to uh, do things that are remarkable. But uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, the Saints just uh, – they, they played some horrible football. I mean, both teams played very poorly for the first, uh, you know, 55 minutes of that of that game. And – you know, all of a sudden, and, and what happened was the, the Saints continued to play poorly, and the Bucks figured things out. The Saints, I mean, Mark Ingram failing to get the first down and going out of bounds uh, when you've got five minutes on the clock and the ball in your hand uh, and Brady on the other side of the field, uh, that's just unconscionable. It can't happen. And uh, so that was really tough. I mean, that really hurts. Um, and then you have, you know, on the third and one play right after that, uh, you throw some silly pass over the heads of two linemen trying to get it to a tight end coming off the line. Uh, I don't know why you don't try to run the ball there. Look, I understand Alvin Kamara is not having a good season. Ingram's not feeling uh, 100%, but 
at some point you got to you got to try to run that ball there and uh, or or at least uh, give your give your quarterback a run pass option. I mean, you got Taysom Hill, you know, one of the greatest secret weapons in the game right now. You got to figure out something there. So that was that was poorly handled uh, by the coaching staff. And then of course, you know, the defense couldn't uh, couldn't get a stop. Uh, you also had another play where Taysom Hill, uh, you know, catches catches and then drops a twenty yard plus uh, first down pass. And uh, it's just remarkable again how the Saints kind of lost that, gave that game away, or gave Tom Brady the chance to to win it. And again, as we said, once Tom Brady's got the ball and uh, if he's got four and a half minutes left to play, you're going to see some magic, and he is still capable of that. So, as bad as the Bucks are right now, as much as they're struggling, uh, particularly on the offensive side of the ball, uh, you cannot deny the fact that uh, the warning signal is out. You cannot give this team come playoff time. You cannot give this team. Uh, uh, you know, you you can't give Tom Brady the ball. With uh, with two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, five minutes left in the game, down by a score or two, and expect uh, him not to not to do something special and beat you. So, the the warning signs are out there, guys. Roger, I knew you were teaching every day this week, so I don't know whether you were able to stay up late enough to see the end of end of this oh, game on Monday night. But uh, go to I it. Saw it. <laughs> I saw it, and I'm thinking the same thing. But here's what I'm thinking now. Could it be that uh, Tom Brady has the Bucks turned around and then they can be a real problem going into the playoffs? What do you fellas think? Well, I don't think he does have them turned around. Here's the thing. I mean, again, you know, it took them 50 minutes, uh, in essence, to, to basically score after they got their first touchdown. I mean, they look great on the first series, and then they look terrible the rest of the way. Uh, and then they go to the no-huddle offense, they go to the hurry-up, which for them has done they've done very well with that. Um, there's been some talk about, you know, whether the Bucks should, should run more of the hurry-up uh, scheme, and uh, according to Todd Bowles, it, they don't feel it, it works quite as well, you know, in the middle of the second quarter or the third quarter or what, whatever, and, and who knows whatever the reason is for that. But uh, as I said before, it certainly works down the stretch for these guys. But – you know, the defense is playing better, um, but, you know, the offense just, it allows teams to, you know, to take, to take the, you know, to get up on you. And, and it, it, it's hard to keep coming back. Sooner or later, I got to think, they're going to run into a team, um, and, and I'm talking about playoffs here, they're going to run into a team that's defensively strong enough to stop Tom Brady. Uh, it was, the Saints couldn't do it. Um, Seattle couldn't do it. Uh, but, uh, you know, who knows? Dallas probably could. San Francisco probably could. And I think that's where uh, they're going to have some trouble. And uh, they, they continue to have trouble running the ball. Um, they're trying a lot of different options. But uh, the bottom line is, uh, uh, you know, for, for the first 55 minutes of the game, this team continues to struggle to move the ball and score points. Roger, I'll answer your question very quickly. I thought it was just awful first uh, 55 minutes of the game. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. the first time I've ever I've ever heard the the analyst on Monday Night Football when he came on to to digest the, or begin the second half and digest what happened in the first he lost he lost words to describe how bad it was. I mean, you <laughs> yeah. never hear Troy Aikman at a loss for words. He was he, he was trying to do everything but say terrible. I mean, it was just awful. Yeah, and ESPN doesn't get the flex. 
okay, <laughs> like the other networks do, or else that game may not have been on. Who knows? Yeah. No, it was awful. I mean, you had a lot of drop passes. You had, you know, poor decision-making by the coaches. The play calling oh, was terrible. Was, was just ordinary at best. I mean, the running games were no were, were awful. Uh, there were no big plays being made. It was just mostly guys uh, blowing opportunities to make plays. Um, it was, it was, it was, it was bad football. And and yeah, I don't know if you guys caught it, but uh, they they were booing Tom Brady and and the offense, the Bucks, uh, the Bucks offense. Uh, you know, early in that game, uh, before the end of the second, the first half, Tom Brady was hearing boos come down around him. He was hearing them. Late in the, you know, in the second half as well, right. um, and then all of a sudden he gets the ball and uh, and magic happens. Which, again, he's he's got that ability. He's still got that magic. Well, going back to your earlier statement, both of you, uh, I think this weekend's got to be a perfect example of can they turn it around? Because uh, most people were picking San Francisco to get deep into the playoffs until. You know, they lost their quarterback this week with a broken foot, although they do say he's going to be able to maybe be back for part of the uh, postseason play. We'll have to wait and see on that. But, uh, you know, the 49ers uh, up and down the line are, are an awfully good football team, and many people pick him to get to the Super Bowl. And now, you know, Tampa Bay is one thing, playing with Tom Brady trying to come from behind, but going to San Francisco and trying to do it against the 49ers, that's a different story. Or going to the Eagles. Or going to the Eagles, even worse. Yeah, right. Well, it's a great test for the Bucks. Um, look, they've got to be feeling really good about themselves because, uh, first of all, you know, you, you, you snatch uh, defeat from the jaws of victory there at the end of the, at the, end of the night. And, uh, you know, you win the game. Uh, you got to be feeling great about yourselves after that. So now you got a really, uh, really good test. And, uh, Let's see how they, they, they shake it out. Um, you know, look, this team, I've been waiting all year for the Bucks to figure it out. And, um, you know, they haven't figured it out yet. But it doesn't mean they can't. They have five weeks to go before, you know, they really have to figure it out. Uh, so there's time to get this done. Um, and, and you, you know, they keep hoping that a couple of healthy bodies will come back. Maybe that will make the difference. I don't know. But maybe – Maybe all they needed was, uh, you know, a late-game victory like this uh, in a game that they probably should have lost and, you know, win a game where you didn't play your best football. Um, that's usually the sign of a good football team. I wouldn't say the Bucks are a good football team, but uh, they're starting to show signs of, uh, of life here. And, uh, you know, if they could somehow play their best football, you know, down the stretch, that's going to be important. And into the playoffs, that's going to be really important. Well, they better start this weekend against the 49ers because they're three-and-a-half-point yeah. underdogs going in. And I was a little surprised. 37 is the uh, over-under number. And, you know, with the 49ers playing with a rookie quarterback uh, who hadn't very, very many games, that's you know, that should help the Buccaneers and especially their defensive uh, uh, coordinator and their defensive coach. Roger? Well, Don, you say that well, they need to figure it out this week. They they, they really don't. They've got, they've got a couple of weeks to – to, you know they got a, they got they've got an edge on on the division here that uh, is gonna they're probably gonna win the division. I mean I don't I don't really see anybody challenging them at this. They're point. not gonna win it. They're gonna be forfeited. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Because the division is so bad, somebody's gotta somebody's gotta win it, or somebody's gotta finish on top, and that's where that's where they'll be uh, more than likely. But 
but you're right. No, they they do they do need to go out and start to play better football because uh, again, uh, they'll they'll be easy pickings in the playoffs unless of course they they give Tom Brady that opportunity down by a score or two with uh, five minutes plus the, plus the play. Well, well, Jimmy G, yeah, Jimmy G is supposed to uh, come back for the playoffs now. Boy, that'll be a miracle. Uh, but I saw that today. And, you know, Roy, before uh, you go, uh, we have our uh, guest for our next segment, and uh, he, he's on with us, and he's going to tell a great story. Uh, the uh, Chris Jensen I've gotten to know because we're both substitute teachers. I'm senior in, in many years to him. He has a, a daughter that's in the school, uh, but he played at Missouri, and uh, uh, he's listening we, uh, right now, he's, uh, and uh, we're going to have him on. But uh, I, I, if you get a chance to hear this, Roy, you're going to love it because he played against Barry Sanders in college. And oh. uh, he has a great story to tell. So. We can, we can start. Hey, listen, if you stay a minute, go ahead, Chris. Welcome, and uh, you're on with Roy Cummings, Frank Carroll, Don Henderson, and me. And I'll tell you all about Don because your uh, wife went to, to um, uh, Middletown South High School. But tell us all about your college career at Mizzou. Again, what was it, Oklahoma State, right, and Barry yeah. Sanders? Yeah, so I had the, you know, the good fortune at Mizzou to play against some really great competition and Oklahoma State at that particular time was very unique in that both um, Thurman Thomas and Barry Sanders were on that same team playing at the same time. And so they had a lot, obviously a lot of firepower, but, you know, I had the the chance to play against some really great players, Uh, played against uh, Eric Metcalf at Texas, and, uh, you know, tried to chase him down to no avail. That didn't go real well. Uh, I was an an inside linebacker, and, uh, you know, a lot of times when I'd be on special teams, I'd be on punt team, you know, kickoff, and trying to corral some of these returners was really tricky. And so in particular, I think it was, oh, I think we were like 1987, and we were playing Okie State uh, at Missouri. And uh, I was on the punt team, and I'm running down the field, and I see uh, Barry Tenners catch the ball, and literally my teammates falling over just like trees, just breaking ankles right and left, and nobody can get a hand on him. And so he's running to the sideline, and I get a little concerned because the only one left is me. <laughs> and so, so he's running to the sideline. Here comes Barry. Here I go. And he gets close to the sideline, and if he gets past me, it's six. So I did what uh, probably every great linebacker has ever done is I leapt at him. I, I was leaping at him, dove for his feet, and closed my eyes at the same time. <laughs> and prayed. <laughs> and prayed. And I got the top of his shoelaces and brought him down. Of course, it counts as a tackle. And my, but my sideline went nuts, and I did not have the heart to tell that I did it with eyes closed. <laughs> <laughs> That's but a I great story. That hey. we, I was thankful we got him down. <laughs> You're one, of the, I you're, you're one of a rare breed. You were able to bring down Barry Sanders. Yes, it counts. <laughs> That's right. It counts as a stat, and it was so hilarious because that my team were like, way to go, Chris. You saved the touchdown. You know, you saved the touchdown. And, I, you know, little, I'm just laughing inside. Like, yeah, I just kind of dove and took, rolled the dice on that one. Fortunately, we were, it was on our side. Hey, there's a little bit of luck some uh, involved in all, uh, in all skill and uh, in all sports. So, uh Worked out well for you. That's a great story indeed. I'm glad I hung on for that one. 
Christmas well, worse. Before right. Roy leaves, I, I wonder if we didn't have a chance to get to it the last hour. We'll get to it next week. What happened to number 10? What happened to Miller in that game? I mean, uh, I'm looking for Miller after the great week he had the <laughs> week before with three great pass catches and then you know, set up the touchdown to win, and he almost was non-existent. But we'll get to that next week. Thanks a lot, Roy. For hey, Roy, a have a great week. Have a great Thank week. Thank you, guys. Take care. Take care. Uh, the uh, Don and, and uh, Frank and uh, Chris, uh, Chris, also t- talk about the uh, coaches that we're all familiar with that were on that staff at Missouri when you were there. Yeah, really remarkable. So the last staff, um, I was a Warren Powers recruit, and then came uh, Woody Woodenhofer was the coach that uh, I played for for my four years. But then Woody was let go my senior year. So this would have been 1988. And then Bob Stoll was hired as the head coach for Missouri, had quite a staff. So the offensive line coach was Andy Reid. Quarterback coach was Dirk Cutter. I think Marty Morningwig was maybe tight end at that time. Can't Um, do better than that. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, really remarkable staff, and um, they were very, very close. Dave Tobe was the strength and conditioning coach, so now the, you know, of course, special teams coach for the Chiefs. Uh, It was quite a staff, and um, just remarkable people, remarkable people. Well, Chris, a good friend of mine here in Sarasota, the columnist for for the Sarasota Herald, uh, Doug Fernandez, he was at Missouri about the same time you were, and uh, okay. Turned out to be really an outstanding writer. I uh, really didn't even think about it tonight to have him join us on the show too, because he uh, he uh, is a big, big time uh, Missouri fan and a big time writer, and and I would love to have him on with you. But I'll tell you, you've got re- you've got quite a resume to work right there. <laughs> well, I tell you what, it, it was a lot of fun, um, very colorful situation, and. You know, it's really funny, as I was thinking about being on tonight, and uh, I've enjoyed Roger so much, and, we, you know, we always have so much to talk about. And I started thinking about, you know, some of the coaches, you know, especially through recruiting and things that, that, um, that I went through. I was thinking of this time when uh, I was recruited by Arkansas when Lou Holtz was there. Wow. And so Lou Holtz, um, I was in his office. And he, they had gone six and five, which was, at that time in that era at Arkansas football was really hard, right? And he, like he was getting a lot of flack and a lot of heat. And Coach Holt sat there and he told me, he said, you know, Chris, now I want you to know there's talk of me leaving. That's not going to happen. You know, you decided to come here and, uh, you, you know, I'm going to be here for your four years. Well, about a month later, he was at Minnesota. <laughs> and and during, that, during that very same conversation, all of a sudden, um, you know, I'm sitting in his office, and the secretary comes in and says, uh, Coach Holtz, Chris is on the phone. And he got real kind of flustered and hurried, and, and he gets on the phone, and I, and I quickly realize he's talking to a kid, right? He's talking to another recruit. Right. Well, guess who that Chris was that he was talking to and who interrupted our, our, our meeting? Who? Chris Spielman. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, he, so he was putting – I'd take that call, too. You know, if I if I was going to have a chance to land him, I, I, I don't blame him. I can't say that I blame him. But it was really funny because I saw Coach Holt many years later. Um, I was an account executive for an ABC affiliate in St. Louis for KTVI-TV. 
And we had a breakfast for some of our big clients and just wanted to do something nice for them. And we brought Coach Holtz in to speak. After the, the engagement was over, uh, I uh, went up to, to Coach Holtz and I said, Coach Holtz, I'm sure you don't remember me, but you recruited me when you were at Arkansas. And he says, is that right? He says, where did you end up going? And I said, well, I, I went to Missouri. And he says, daggone it, if you would have come, I would have still been there. <laughs> and, you I'll know, tell you, he has I some of the to... greatest. He has some of the greatest stories of recruiting oh. and of football that you could ever hear anywhere. Whether it was South Carolina, no matter yeah. where he was, Notre yeah. Dame, of course, uh, is, is a milestone. But uh, what what a what a great uh, just a philosopher when it comes to talking about football and an ambassador for football. Period. Right. Right. And so and so smooth, and so good at getting to the point of what's really going on. You know, I mean, I think of the story he tells about his family when they were giving him such fits. I can't remember which step it, stop it was, but he was never at home. And you guys have probably heard this story. And then he gets them all loaded up in the car, and he drives through this neighborhood. It's a very nice neighborhood, but it's this middle-class neighborhood that was a few steps down from where they'd been accustomed to living. And he says, look, this, this house here is what a teacher would make you know, on their salary, and you know, that's what I can go back to if you guys are very serious about you know, wanting me around more. And I understand, and it's, it's a wonderful home. It's, you know, the home that we have now is great, but this will do just fine as well. But if this is what you want to do and this is where the adjustment you want to make, this is what's going to be involved. Are you in or are you out? Nobody said anything more about him not coming home. You know? <laughs> he, was, he got his point across and, you know, really great, great communicator of knowing how to get to what's really, really important. And uh, so that, that kind of talent is very rare. Roger? Oh, well, uh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, what's re- uh, funny, uh, you know, Don, uh, I think I mentioned this to you, that Chris's wife went to Middletown South. And, right. of course, that was, is also uh, where uh, Noshan Marino went. And uh, that you and I and your family, and uh, we were at uh, Noshan's next to last game, which was against uh, Ewing Township. And the, I guess the group, group three Central New Jersey Championship, and uh, Noshan and Middletown South uh, beat Ewing in triple overtime on a very cold night uh, when I was doing the game. But Don Chris is yeah. the uh, the grandfather of Adam Ziegler, who was the quarterback for Ewing High School in that game. I'll be darned. <laughs> did you, did you, Don, do you remember the game well? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I won't go in. They've heard the story. The listeners have heard it before about uh, my conversation with, with Noshan at Georgia when he was at Georgia mm-hmm. and about that Ewing game. And, uh, you know, the question will always be, you know, it's going to be living infamy. Did Noshan score that touchdown? Because uh, a good friend, he's since passed away, a great football, a great sports writer for the Trentonian, George O'Gorman was standing there, and to the day he died, he said, no, Sean did not score. So, <laughs> wow. <laughs> but those are, you know, the, the great stories, like you were talking about Lou Holtz, and this is a high school game, but, Don, it seems like yesterday, doesn't it, that that game, 
And look now, you know, uh, Adam's a, a father, and you're a grandfather and a great grandfather. Yeah, we got we got a family tradition going now. We 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 keep bringing them along, so we'll see what happens there. <laughs> but we we weren't on the goal line, but everybody that was said he didn't score. But uh, when you talked to him, he didn't say yes or no, did he? He just said no. He laughed. He laughed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he never answered. But I knew what his answer was, uh, Chris. I'll tell you when he was laughing, and then. I said, well, I have another question for you. He says, but I know that question, too. I said, what is it? He said, you want to know if the quarterback scored on that winning touchdown. I said, that's right. And he said, yeah, he did, and he's laughing about that. And I said, listen, I never saw officials run up a hill to get into their cars so fast in my life as that game. (laughs) But anyway. It was it was great time, and you know uh, I do want to uh, say a couple things. We're at a uh, a really wonderful uh, middle school. It was brand new last year. The administration, the uh, the faculty, the student body. I know uh, Chris has a daughter there. I met her the other day. Yeah, and, two daughters. Uh, I'm sorry. You yeah, have two, two daughters, daughters there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I went to see the boys' uh, basketball team play tonight. The seventh grade didn't do so well. When I left, the, uh, the, the uh, eighth graders were doing pretty well. And, of course, I'm a big uh, girls' basketball, women's basketball uh, junkie, and yeah. I've seen them play. And the seventh grade team is tremendous. And the eighth grade team is, uh, you know, learning, okay? But I'm sure, uh, you know, you agree with me. We really have a lot of respect. I have a lot of respect for you. You took over uh, the art uh, department. And uh, it's a a wonderful place to work. And and I'm a big, uh, you know, proponent of educators. My my mother was a teacher. My late wife was a teacher. My daughter is a teacher. And I know Don's uh, late wife was a teacher. Educator, and uh, you know we don't give enough credit out to them uh, today for what they go through. And one story that uh, I'd love you to relate because it's really a human interest story, and that was mm-hmm. when you asked the students to talk, uh, write down something about they're thankful for. for. Go ahead. Yeah. So there was a, a day. Uh, it was a day last week, and the students just seemed to be off. A little bit and there was just something that just didn't sit quite right and so they're talking to the students I said to them you know every single one of us and myself included and we came to school today we came to work and we're driving in and you know we're, we're thinking about something we're thinking about something that's on our mind that's making us anxious or sad or fearful or maybe it's a relationship you know maybe it's something going on at home maybe somebody's sick maybe there's somebody we're concerned about maybe it's a friendship that's gone awry or a uh, coach that uh, you're trying to figure out or some kind of, some dynamic, some issue, right? Then we all, we're all dealing with something, you know, all the time. Everyone's got something going on that we don't know about. And I said, you know, one of the things that I think can change where we are with that um, very easily is to have a grateful and a thankful heart. And um, I want you all to please, you know, get out a piece of paper and write down what you're thankful for. And I said, you don't have to share it with your classmates if you don't want to, but I'm going to walk around and I want to see what you're thankful for. So I walked around the the, uh, the classroom. And as I'm walking around, I, I over, you know, I'll look over their shoulders, and some of them just pretty lighthearted. You know, I'm thankful for my pets. I'm thankful for, you know, my, my friends. 
and then there's some that were like, you know, and you could tell the earnestness of them writing, I'm thankful that I have food. I'm thankful that I, I have a home. I'm thankful, you know, this one little girl wrote, I'm thankful that my dad tries so hard. Um, another little girl wrote down, I'm thankful that my foster family, um, this most recent foster family is kind to me. Um, one little boy wrote, I know I'm, I'm upset because my parents are getting divorced and we think my dad is mentally ill. Mm. Um, you just never know. You just never know. No, what's you going don't. On. And as you're, you know, and as you're looking at these eyes and you're connecting with them and you're there, you're telling, Hey, look, you know, I've got things going on in my life and I know you do too, but let's, let's be thankful. Um, I can't tell you how many little eyeballs just locked in and it resonated with them. And I said, you know, one of the things that can get you to a better place quicker than anything is having a grateful and a thankful heart. So the next time you're kind of in that spot, you know, take out a piece of paper, write down the things you're thankful for, and, and I promise it will help you. And uh, I believe I bet it. that's a, uh, a terrific story, but also the fact that you were able to come up with that idea. Uh, yeah. That, that, yeah. Really, that really brings forward what education is all about. Uh, my wife, as uh, Roger said, uh, was a demonstration teacher for the College of New Jersey, and she went all around New Jersey and started the program where they would have the glass ceiling, or not the glass ceiling, glass wall, and the teachers mm. would be teaching, and then they would critique and so forth. They started that in New Jersey. And uh, mm-hmm. when, you co- when you're involved in something like that and you see what it does for the youngsters, I mean, you never forget it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, the, uh, you know, it, it's it's interesting. Uh, there's uh, one young man uh, who's uh, the uh, manager of the uh, of the basketball team. And, and I saw him tonight and I had him in class last week. And I I said to him, I said, you know, you, you don't need to fool around in class. I said, because you're involved in an athletic program and you're considered a leader. And he said to me, that's exactly what my father said to me. So, you know, and that really hit me because that Mm -hmm. shows that, I mean, that they're, you know, the parenting with him, it's not a problem of parenting at all. I mean, and he, that was just an instant, you know, he's a fine young man. And I told him that tonight. So, uh, but, you know, these are the things that we're learning. And, man, I'm a lot older than you, Chris, and and I'm (laughs) learning something every day. Well, I, I think that's the beauty of that vocation. I think that's the beauty of any time you're interacting with anybody is that there's always things to learn. But yeah. I love that what you said to him was something that was an affirmation of something that he heard, and he brought that up. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, you know, hey, not only am I hearing it from you, but my dad's saying it too. I, I would lay odds that, that kid's thinking, you know, this is probably something very important for me to really latch on to. So kudos for you to for for mentioning that and encouraging him the right way well Chris, i want to thank you so much for being with us and also uh, the stories that you told and we hope that you'll come back and join us a little later on the season during the playoffs or whatever it may be uh continue success at the school i know you got to put up with roger but so we all do that (laughs) well i'll do my best it's a pleasure being here thank you for having me on and it's nice Chris, we're looking forward to having you on, and we'll talk, uh, you know, all football when we get there. Okay, that, that we appreciate it. You're you're wonderful, oh, Chris. Thanks, thanks so again. much. I'll say it was a great segment, and uh, 
We'll get to it in the future, no question about it. We're going to flip right. the page right now because Mike Schulte is on the line right now, Director of Communications. It's going to be January 2nd this year. The bowl game normally played on the 1st, but because of the schedule, pros take over on Sunday. And so the four big games, anyway, that are going to be on the on January 2nd, one of them is going to be involved in Tampa, Florida. So, Mike, once again, nice to have you with us back. Now you've got your teams. You're ready to go. <laughs> We're ready to talk tickets. Let's go to it. Roll them. <laughs> That's right. Hey, we got teams. We got teams. You know, selling a bowl game uh, before December is like, you know, selling concert tickets before you got the act. I mean, it's it's tough. <laughs> but no, it's it's great. We've got we got two really really fine teams that are going to be going after each other on January 2nd. Um Illinois fighting Illini. Um, they are they're back, man. They, uh, Brett Bielema has brought those guys back to prominence. Let me just interrupt doing for a, a second. Great job I want to give you a little and, credit. You uh, were the one that jumped in at the beginning of the season and talked about Illinois. Keep your eye on Illinois. Keep your eye on Illinois in the Big Ten. You started off the second or third week, and now yeah. your predictions yeah. are you coming true. Em. You got them in your bowl. Well, you know, you, well. First of all, like you said, they have an exceptional coach. Bielema is a heck of a coach. Uh, he we we learned that really quickly when he was at Wisconsin and uh, as an assistant, and then took over for Barry Alvarez up there, and uh, had some great success there. And then he went down to Arkansas, had some pretty good success. Probably not where he wanted to be, but you know a lot of that was just you know the you know he's playing in the West uh, Division of the SEC, and he did just didn't have the players that uh, probably he needed, but. He's come back up to Illinois and, and just turned that program around and done a fantastic job. So, and they've got some great, really good players there. They got Chase Brown, who's the number, well, he led the country in rushing just about the whole year until the final week. I think he's number two now in the, in the country for rushing yards. Uh, they got a heck of a defense, one of the top defenses in the country. And, uh, and they just, they just, they play big 10 type of football and, He's done a great job with it, and they're going to get to face the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Uh, Will Rogers and his um, his receiving core, uh, you know, they, they he I think Will Rogers leads the SEC in about ten different passing categories. Um, they, you know, and they, they also have a pair of running backs who, uh, between the two of them, ran for a thousand yards. So they don't just do it in the air. But they're a heck of a, a an offensive weapon, and they've got uh, some of the leading tacklers in the SEC. So they got a good a defense too. So I mean, it, it's there's there's going to be a lot of good talent on that field. They're going to be, be playing on Sundays pretty soon, and they're going to go after each other. And you got two dynamic coaches, and Mike Leach and Brett Bielema. So what else do you want? I'll tell you, well, you know, it's going to be a great weekend, and uh, we'll all be there looking forward to it as always. And, uh, Roger, go to it. Well, Don and I talked about the uh, matchup, Mike, and, uh, you know, I was I said to Don, you know, uh, you, you, if you can fly to Tampa from Chicago, okay, I mean, not a problem. That's easy. And uh, and Southwest, you know, you can get, a, you know, really good rates and some other splits. The, uh, you know, the Mississippi uh, state, that's not that bad of a drive, okay, you know, to yeah. get over uh, to, to, and, and not even have to fly. But I said if people even want to fly, they come out of, uh, like, the northwest or the central part of the country on 75, 
and you just stay all the way down to uh, Tampa. So if yeah, they want to, you know, drive right down. Family, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's a drive, you know, but, I mean, people do it every year to go to Florida for the winter. So, hey, the kids uh, yeah, don't cool. care about that, Roger. No, they don't. They don't mind driving. No. No. You, uh, you expect, no, no. You expect we, the well, house. I, I grew up in Ohio, and we did the same thing. We we went out, and we got on the I seventy, took a left on the I seventy five, and we didn't stop till we got to Tampa. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Back then, well, let me back ask you then, this: seventy five uh, ended at Tampa, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, Mike, I wanted to ask you: the uh, do you expect to have a tremendous uh, support from both schools uh, in attendance? I, well, I, yeah, I, I think we're going to have good support from both schools. I, we, we've got, um, you know, the, you know, Illinois has not been to a lot of bowl games uh, recently. I, I believe they've only been to about four bowl games in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they went to the Rose Bowl back in uh, the early 2000s, I think, and then they've had a couple appearances here and there. But, you know, they haven't been to a major bowl game uh, since then. And uh, so they're they're really pumped up, not to mention the fact that, you know, you want to go from you know that part of the country to the Midwest to you know wherever you are in the Midwest as an Illinois fan and and down to Florida uh, and and again Mississippi State we had them back in uh, uh, 2018 for the first time and uh, you know I, I think that they're very excited about not only this matchup but but coming down here again uh, you know when we brought them down in 2018 they hadn't been here probably didn't really know too much about the, the experience they was they were going to have here. Um, but I, I know they went away here, you know, feeling really good about the experience they had. And, and that's part of part of this business, too, is you, you want to really treat people uh, with great hospitality uh, because, you know, at some point down the road, that, you know, there's a chance they might be coming back to follow their team back to your game again. And so I, I think, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of enthusiasm because they know what kind of – trip this is down here to this wonderful destination and uh and so the fans that came last time i think are going to be excited about being able to come back again and uh and of course you know spreading the word to the new folks that maybe didn't come down the first time uh you know what a great place this is to have a bowl game and to experience a bowl game with your team so uh we're expecting some some very good numbers from both the schools Great. Well, I'll tell you, I, I can certainly understand that, and uh, especially Illinois, as you mentioned, not only the fact they haven't been in that many bowls in recent years, but just the fact they come out of Chicago and say, hey, look, we're going to go down. We're going to spend New Year's in Tampa, Florida, and we're going to get a chance to go to Clearwater. We're going to get a chance to go to a number of different events that you put on during the course of the week. I mean, it's got to be a tremendous invitation to come down. Yeah, and you know, and, and you guys know this. I mean, you know, the, the the west coast of Florida, the Tampa Bay area, and all on down into well, really all the way up from from like uh, the the villages area, you know, the Ocala, Wildwood, all the way down the west coast of Florida to Naples. Really, you know, there's a lot of Midwesterners uh, transplants down here, including myself, right? So, so you know, they've because of I-75 back in the day. You know that that's everybody jumped on the interstate, and this is where it took them—the west coast of Florida, and right. you know south, you know South Florida down to Miami, uh, Palm Beach, Fort Lauderdale area. Oh, a lot of people did the same thing from New York, New Jersey, the Northeast. They jump on 95, and that's where it dumped them out down there. So, so with that said, there's a lot of Midwestern um, influence in this this part of the state, 
and and all the way up and down the coast. And so the, there's a lot of Illinois alumni all all the way around this state, and certainly uh, up and down to Lake Naples and and so forth. So uh, there's going to be a lot of of, of uh, happy uh, Illinois fans who live in the state of Florida who are going to get a chance to see their team up close, which is really nice. And and another thing on top of that, which I, since we're on that. Um, I believe uh, Illinois has about 18 players, uh, more than anybody in the Big Ten, from Florida. So wow. they, you know, Brett Bielema has always done a good job of recruiting Florida, and so uh, then you have that aspect of of a lot some of these kids coming home to where their families are. Roger, yeah, which will even be a, a bigger draw, you know, because uh, you'll have even families from around the country that will want to go and see uh, a relative uh, in the game. I, 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 that's a great draw, in my opinion. Well, it should be a really good game. The last time uh, I, w- I saw Mississippi State was against Florida. Jackie Sherrill was at Mississippi State, and, um, and, and Steve Spurrier was at Florida. That's many years ago, and it was, that's at Tupelo. Isn't that right, Mike, where Mississippi State is, Tupelo, Mississippi? Or, or near uh, there. I guess it's near there. Well, I we think it's more like closer to Jackson, but yeah. Yeah, yeah it, at the Elvis, uh, Elvis or Tupelo. That, is that where it was? Yeah. Well, I know that we went to see the game, and uh, at Mississippi State beat the Florida, and that was like an upset, and Spurrier wasn't happy. That I can tell you. That's what I remember. But the uh, it should be a, a great matchup. And uh, how did the selection? We've talked about it before, and you make that choice on like Sunday night. <laughs> Was there a lot of discussion about any other teams or not? Well, you know, it, it's it's a very complex um, process. Um, the you know there's you know we have agreements with the conferences and all that, but there's always these little nuances and things that happen and the other thing too, and we we've talked about this a little bit over the over the year you know the it all stems from the, the top of the playoffs, right so what mm-hmm. happens with the playoffs and who gets in the playoffs and who doesn't and then and then that how the c f p committee ranks the teams that has a lot to do. Uh, as a, in, in a domino effect with teams that are available to the other bowl games. And so uh, as an example, and, and I remember, you know, you, we talking about this, for instance, we had a situation where, you know, this year, if a big 10 team went to the orange bowl, then, um, then we were actually going to have an ACC team or Notre Dame or somebody in our game from the right. ACC side this year. instead of the big 10, well, you know, um, for a while it looked like that might happen, uh, but then when Southern Cal lost and, and Ohio State ended up being pulled back up into the playoff picture, then an SEC that sent an SEC team that weren't to the Orange Bowl, which then meant that we were going to be able to stay with the Big Ten team this year, which is you know how we were able to get Illinois. So, but it, but all, this whole process happened because of you know how how the games went on that final weekend and then how they rank the teams and so forth. So when when things were all said and done on the SEC side, you know, sort of a similar kind of situation, the the domino effect of of teams and where the SEC conference was was going to place their different teams or make make certain teams available to the bowl games, um, you know, that sort of was dictated 
in part by that ranking system and what happened that uh, on championship weekend. And so when it came down to it and the SEC said, okay, here's, here's the teams that, that we are, that are available to you. Um, then there was no question that we were going to take uh, Mississippi state. So, so it's, it's a, it's a combination of, of, of situations of that determine what your choices are and then, and then combined with, you know, uh, your ability to make a choice out of out of the uh, you know the the options that you have, and and w- and we feel very good about the the teams that we were able to get this year, and and uh, very happy with the with the matchup. Mike Schulte, our guest, as always, and Mike, uh, before we uh, run out of time, uh, how about we give the folks around the country an opportunity to talk or you to talk about some of the tremendous things that you do during the course of the week. I know Bush Gardens is involved, Clearwater is involved. Yeah. Tell everybody what it's all about. It's not just a football game. No, it isn't. It, and, you know, that's the thing. I mean, the, the, fan, the teams come down. They'll probably come in about the December 25th or 26th. They'll be here for a whole week. They'll practice here, of course. But we have all kinds of fun activities for them to do, as well as for the fans that are in town uh, following them. Um, we got all kinds of fun activities. We'll have the players going out to Splitsville, which is sort of like a Dave and Buster's here, um, but but a little bit nicer. Um, and uh, they'll go there and have you know eat and have fun playing some ga- different kind of games. Um, one night uh, they're going to Bush Gardens uh, one day where they're going to be able to see world class um, theme park there with all kinds of great animal attractions, uh, some of the best roller coasters in the world. Uh, shows and, and, and everything else you can imagine. Um, we're doing a Clearwater Beach Day on December 30th. That's a Friday uh, out of Clearwater Beach, one of the top beaches in the world. Um, we've got the marching bands performing. The cheerleaders will be out there. The teams will come out and have some fun. Uh, the cheerleaders will participate in the tug-of-war contest. we got a pie-eating contest. All kinds of fun, mm-hmm. fun happenings out there uh, with the fans. Uh, New Year's Eve, of course, we have our, our New Year's Eve parade, which is a lot of fun. Um, and and then, of course, uh, you know, we got a lot of activities planned for game day. So lots of lots of neat things to do while they're here, um, you know, whether it's the teams, the fans, or both together. Uh, it, it's a, just a really fun week that, you know, you, you try and make some really special memories um, with your teammates, with your, with your, 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 uh, your peers in the fan base. Um, you know, everybody, you know, have a, just have a great time, celebrate college football, celebrate your team, um, and then cap it off with hopefully a, a real fun game and, and, uh, start off the year the right way. So, you know, we encourage everybody to be a part of it, um, because it's, it's just a unique experience, um, that you, you just don't get to have, you know, the rest of the year. Roger. Well, it, it sure uh, sounds, uh, terrific. I mean, all those activities and, just thinking about the coordination, Mike, that it takes to when you go out to the beach or Bush Gardens, a lot takes a lot of volunteers, doesn't it? Yeah, a lot of volunteers, just a lot of hours and a lot of work and logistics. Uh, but you know, the, the the neat thing about you know the behind the scenes of the event business is is really crazy, and people you know don't really understand it, and that's fine. You know, the, the the point is for them not to not to really care about that, but to just have a good time. You know, they don't have to know, you know, how, how the sausage is made, right? I mean, it's like, you know, it's a heck of a lot of work and a lot of 
lot a lot of people uh, that have to have their hands and and to do everything to do every everything that happens um, around a major event like this takes a lot of people's hard work to do it and planning to do it um, but the, the the key is like it, we're like in show business right it's like you, you know all the commotion that goes beyond behind the scenes you know behind the curtains that are off off the stage you know the key is to put on a great show uh, for the people in the audience uh, so that they can have a few hours of just you know fun uh, experience and and um, you know just feel good about the world and things that are happening uh, maybe forget about the the negative things in the world for a little bit and that's that's what sports does it's it entertains us it brings us together um in, in a in a way that unifies people that that you know that you don't find in a, in other areas and uh and and this is you know just part of that it's it's bringing fans together uh for these teams or just college football fans to, together to have a great experience uh, throughout the week and on game day uh, and to, you know, have something positive happen in, in their lives and, and you know, do it uh, in a fun way. You know, Mike, one of the things I don't think you get enough credit for, and I'm a big guy for uh, always have been since I was a kid, bands at halftime. And, of course, you don't really see much bands at halftime on TV anymore because they always have too many halftime shows and stuff that really don't mean anything. But anyway, uh, how do you go about selecting? And I'm just telling the people around the country that have never been there. I mean, you have so many bands that come out on that field yeah. at halftime and perform. How do you go about selecting? It's almost like Thanksgiving Day in New York. How do you select the number of bands and how do you get them all there? Yeah, we well, what we do is we have a we have a, a, a group that's called World Strides that 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 manages these different types of. of festivals they you mentioned the uh, thanksgiving day parade they actually they actually uh help find bands for like macy's thanksgiving day parade and other events around the around the country um but but they go out and they they search for you know different high school bands around the country and and invite them you know to participate in the in the game and these kids come down you know they raise money of course and they then they come down and they'll spend three or four days down here and they'll have like different competitions. They'll get to to march in our New Year's Eve parade. Uh, they get to they do a, like, a big banquet on New Year's Eve out of Bush Gardens, and then they get they go to um, uh, they get to perform in the halftime show, like you mentioned, um, you know, uh, for the bowl game, which is a lot of fun. And we also have uh, uh, dance groups that that combine. We'll have about seven or eight hundred uh, dancers uh, from different dance groups around the country. That come together and perform as well as as one giant you know um, dance group at the game and things like that. These kids, this is I mean the dream come true for these kids. I mean they're most of these kids are in high school um, and they you know it's like this is a big deal for this is one of the, you know things that they'll remember most from their high school days is is being able to come across the country and and have a great time with their friends and and their their bandmates and so forth and. And uh, spend a few days in sunny Florida, uh, having fun at doing different activities and staying in a hotel and and all that together with their friends, and then and then performing at a major bowl game on on TV. I mean, you know, again, these are, you know, it's not just it's not just the football players, you know, who are doing their stuff. I mean, all these other folks are having a great time doing uh, with these experiences as well, and and it's just a lot of fun to host them, and that. And what I started getting to earlier when you mentioned about all the work it takes to do this, 
this is the time of year that it all pays off for us too because you know all the work that you do throughout the year and all the craziness right now that that you know when we're working in their office here till 11 o'clock every night you know trying to get ready for as we lead up to the to bowl week is is you know the fact that we get to entertain these people and see them have such an unbelievable time while they're here and and it's it's just the payoff you know for what we what's do what's this for you 33 34 years enjoy themselves so much 33 34 years for you yeah somewhere somewhere in there <laughs> Roger well i was going to say to follow up uh, with mike about the uh, band and how they have uh, fundraisers. I know uh, my oldest two uh, children that are now 52 and 51, but when they were in high school, uh, the band went to Disney twice, and they got to play and go down Main Street, you know, and they talked about that for years, exactly what you alluded to, Mike, you know, the hotel stay, and uh, and that's, you're exactly right. These schools will have uh, fundraisers, uh, I had, matter of fact, uh, the dance team today, uh, had, they came to me. They have a fundraiser to sell popcorn because they're going to go into a competition. So there you go. I mean, and that's why I think about the bowl committee and uh, you and the staff. It's an all-year-round uh, work, uh, work, uh, work job because you've got the people that were working on this all year round to get all these other uh, adju- adjunct, adjunct uh, uh, parts of the, uh, the, the festival, uh, the week, the week festival. Right. Right. Yep. Yep. You're right. I mean, well, it's just, I, I, if I told you how many, you know, you see these flyovers, you know, you know, we, we do we're like, we're going to have five, five air force jets do a flyover uh, uh, during the game, you know, at the end of the anthem, right? Like a lot of folks do. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, we have people here that actually have to work on that um, for, literally for five or six months ahead of time just because of all the paperwork you have to do and then you have to go through right. the Pentagon and the FAA and this and that and everything and then you got to get all these approvals and then, then you have to go out and be able to find um, a, 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 um, uh, an Air Force base who agree to support it and pilots who will, are willing to do it. And then they'll fly their, their planes here to, to, to Tampa and, and, and base them here at the Air Force Base here. And you have to have coordination of people there who will take care of the equipment while it's here. And then you have to have them do a, a practice run the day before. And you have to put up the pilots and, and all that. And then you have to have meetings to coordinate, you know, the timing. So it's just right. And then you have to make sure that they get the, you know, the okay for the FAA to, the, to fly around Tampa Bay in a holding pattern so that they can line up to, to come across at the right time on, over the stadium. And it, you know, the, and the entire thing, people see it for about five or 10 seconds, but the amount of work it goes in just for that five or 10 seconds of thrill for people is is sort of ridiculous, sort of crazy, but it's that's the kind of thing that you that happens in this kind of business is that Mike, and, and people we got, like we got thirty seconds to go. Let's get to the bottom line. How about the tickets? Let's get to the tickets. That's the most important thing. You got to you got to get people in the stands and you got to get some money back. So let's get Absolutely. close it out with so the tickets. tickets. Tickets at Ticketmaster, Ticketmaster, Ticketmaster. Go to Ticketmaster.com. You can get tickets. You can get club seats or non-club seats. 
whatever you want. Um, we've got them at Ticketmaster.com. And if you want more information about the, what's going on around the bowl, uh, from the event schedule to uh, hotels, partners in the area, where to stay, things to do in the area, um, you know, whatever you can think of is on our website at reliequestbowl.com. So www.reliequestbowl.com and uh, ticketmaster.com for tickets. Great. Mike, thank you very much. As always, uh, terrific, great success. We'll look forward to this or, uh, January the 2nd. I almost said December. January the 2nd, uh, 12 noon. We'll be there to see it all. Thanks a lot. Thank you, guys. Take care, Mike. Have a great Thanks, week. Congratulations on the uh, the teams and uh, a great week coming up. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, we're very, very excited. All right, boys, we switch page now, turn it over to Mike Zimzak, who's down in the Baltimore, Washington area right now. And, uh, Mike, uh, first of all, a 2020 tie on Sunday, not exactly uh, something that everybody was real happy about. Yeah, I'm – it was a result, it was a game though that kind of, I guess if you have to choose a winner and a tie, um, the Commanders came out on top, uh, given the Giants' schedule, and the fact that the Commanders have a bye week before they play the, the uh, Giants again in FedEx uh, advantage uh, Commanders, but we saw like I guess the limitations of both teams. Uh, Taylor Heineke did the really hard stuff easily and the really easy stuff hard. A couple of turnovers, uh, had the big fourth-quarter drive. But then again, uh, the offense, as it has been throughout this uh, unbeaten streak, was only able to manage about 20 points. And that's where they are for about – that's about par for the course for, for them right now. The other thing is that uh, the overtime period, normally the overtime period is, uh, you know, right down to the wire and you have to make a major decision. The Giants uh, did make a major decision. They made a decision to punt uh, rather than go for it on fourth down. Uh, they were looks like they were more uh, willing to settle for the tie than they were to go for a win. Uh, a lot of discomfort in New York about that. Most people thought they made a tremendous mistake. They had to, they had to go for the win. And the same thing with uh, the, the uh, commanders. They had an, a late drive where uh, they had a third and nine after Taylor Heineke had taken a sack. Um, Brand, um, Brian Johnson was able to – Brian Robinson, I'm sorry, was able to break off a nine-yard run. And uh, they chose on third and nine to run a draw play. That's strange. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I understand Why? that you have. Well, I, I I don't know. I understand that they saw, you know, the Giants in dime coverage, but you know, late in overtime, uh, late with a chance to to win the game, they chose on third and nine rather than uh, take any sort of shot downfield or throw a pass and try and move the the, the, the sticks. They took the ball out of Taylor Heineke's hands and ran a draw play. And it's at that point in time, I started to think that, you know, both teams were kind of okay if this ended up a tie. I don't know how you could be if you're a coach. I don't know. How you, but the other thing was that uh, Heineke really did an outstanding job, I thought, in 
you know, conducted the game uh, to the best ability of the, uh, of the Washington franchise. I thought he, he really came in and stepped in and did a very credible job. I think, again, though, you see his limitations. Uh, what is it, 20 or 33? Uh, he had a couple of fumbles, a couple of turnover-worthy plays. Um, he's a guy who can make this fantastic play, escape the rush by uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, and get out of pressure that would have led to most quarterbacks to fumble the ball. And then he misses a wide-open Logan Thomas with a throw. So it's a case of, again, like I said, he can sometimes do the incredibly hard stuff and make it look very easy. But then when it's that easy completion to an open receiver, uh, he underthrows it, he overthrows it, he just misses. And you see the inaccuracy and the lack of the arm strength. The thing that he's got is he's got escapability. He has that intangible ability to sense pressure and move out of the pocket to extend plays downside is he's not a particularly accurate passer and um, throws in a double cover sometimes too yeah he makes risky passes he makes poor passes um, and he doesn't have the great arm strength and he just you know he knows the playbook Um, I don't know how much people really care about Pro, focus, uh, pro football focus, but all the teams subscribe to it. They created him out at about a 40, which is a below average performance. And they said that's where he's consistently been. He does some really great plays that make you forget about all the bad ones that he makes throughout the um, – normally he does something amazing in the fourth quarter that makes you forget about the, all the things that he's done in the previous three. Roger? Yeah, I'll tell you, Mike, uh, on that pro football focus, uh, I've seen it, and uh, there's a lot of people, not a lot, but a lot, many that I know, and and people uh, on the radio that are not fans of them, of that publication. And uh, so when you said that, I know, and, and you're quoting it, obviously, but the uh, – I, I don't I don't get some of these uh, predictions. I mean, like you probably saw ESPN uh, has the Cowboys uh, under the Eagles, but yet over the Eagles for the Super Bowl. Uh, it, the under is for the playoffs, believe it or not. And uh, but yet over that their chances of winning the Super Bowl are better than the Eagles. I don't get these statistics at all. You know, these analytics. Uh, and I know you see it too. What's your opinion? I mean, I understand it. It gives you a measuring stick. It's another way of discussing a team or a player. But I also believe you, you, the eye test doesn't always lie, right? Um, mm-hmm. Regardless of what Pro Football Focus tells me about the commanders right now, I can tell you that the defense is playing very, very, very well, um, regardless of what they say about the Ron Payne's grade and where they place him and his impact on the game. I can tell mm-hmm. you by watching that he has been a major piece of this defensive line, and he's having one of the best seasons that I've seen of any defensive tackle. He just eats up blocks. He takes up space. Now, is that going to show up in the analytics or the stats? I don't know how it can On the flip side, I can tell you that, you know, Taylor Heineke, uh, his knowledge of the offense has been an asset. 
but I think that you've seen what he truly is. And to my eyes, looking at him, uh, regardless of what the analytics say, he looks like a guy who is a good backup, but I don't know if I pin my hopes of advancing a franchise because there's a lot of limitations. Uh, so it's another pool in the arsenal to look at and evaluate where a team is. Uh, it gives us a reference, but I and with you, I don't think at all, uh, by any means, it's the be-all and end-all. I can't be one of those people who's just totally into analytics and advanced stats exactly. because I don't think that it can possibly tell you every facet of anything. Fellas, I couldn't agree more, and I'll tell you now, at the end of each game, I don't know whether you've noticed it or not, or even sometimes during, you know, as soon as Tampa Bay won the other night, what was 17, 16, as soon as they won the game, they came up with, well, they got a 50% chance to go into this. They got 50% chance. They only had a 35% chance to be in the third quarter, but now they got a 50%. What the hell are they talking about? <laughs> I mean, who cares what, what what they come up with some kind of magical number to tell you that what the, that they're going to win this game or lose this game? Unless you're a better. I mean, maybe if you're a better, right. it's important to you. I don't know. Before we leave that, uh, that like quickly, before for... we get to your Bailey work, yeah, how about a quick word on? <clears throat> on the National Hockey League of the NBA in Washington. What's the story there? Um, the uh, Capitals are currently playing the Flyers. Uh, I hadn't looked at the score. It was 1-1 last time I checked. Uh, the Capitals have really been struggling. Uh, there are only a couple of points ahead of the Flyers, and right now on the outside of the playoffs looking in, uh, they really, 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 really seem to be pinning their hopes on the idea that – Nicholas Backstrom and Tom Wilson returning will give them the boost that they need not only to make the playoffs, but to make a deep run. Uh, They just haven't been able to generate a lot of offense. Um, The interesting stat was like they've won all of their games where they've scored three or more goals. They've lost all of the games where they scored two or less. So it's telling me, that this is a team that when it can score is very, very good, but it struggles to score. Um, And so much of that is because the scoring um, load is riding so heavily on Alex Ovechkin right now. And if he's not able to put the the puck in the net for them or help create chances for them, they just can't score. Uh, On the flip side, the, uh, on the hardwood, the, Washington Wizards are in uh, Chicago tonight. Um, They're below 500. Uh, They, too, you know, uh, Kristaps Porzingis has looked really good this year. So has Kyle Kuzma. It's just they don't have um, enough players right now, the types of players that they would need to really make a serious playoff push. And I don't know if they're going to get them. Uh, they have guys like Denny Avia and uh, Rui Hachimura, who's been out injured for a while, but they need that additional scoring. Definitely somebody who can play some defense because that's been a real thorn in the side of the uh, Wizards thus far. Roger? Yeah, the, uh, the Caps and the uh, Flyers are tied up uh, 1-1 right now. Uh, in yeah, the I'm, watching, I'm watching that game while we're talking. Oh, okay. 
the uh, what is that on a national uh, feed, Don? NBC Sports Philly. Oh, okay. oh, that's right. You're up in New Jersey. I keep on thinking you're in uh, in Florida, but uh, yeah, that, I know that uh, the Capitals do have some trouble uh, uh, scoring. But uh, on the flip side, in the NBA, the 76ers have a lot of problems. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, where do you they, start they, with it, that team? Where do I start with that? But, you know, with Joel Embiid missing time and James Harden missing as much as he has, the only thing though that when they get all of their guys back, they can put it together, the type of run that they need to get into the playoffs, still find their rhythm. I mean, we're still barely past the quarter pole of the NBA season, so there's a lot of time left. I always tell you guys, I don't pay attention. To, I don't care, worry about hockey until after um, Valentine's Day. I really don't worry about the NBA standings until after Valentine's Day. Um, let it get a little bit further into the season, and we'll see how it goes. There's plenty of teams in both sports that get off the really hot starts and fade. There's also teams that get off the really slow starts. Um, we'll see if the Sixers ha- have it in them to make moves at the trade deadline. You know, the Wizards have been a team – also, that it's been very aggressive in trying to move stuff. I mean, after all, they, they were able to flip the carcass of John Wall into basically Kristaps Porzingis and Kyle Kuzma. So they've been very aggressive in making trades. The Cavs are going to be an interesting one. They, they don't have a lot of assets to move, so they're kind of married to their core, and they've just got to hope that they're right and that the likes of Carlson and uh, Backstrom and Tom Wilson coming back uh, will help them make that final playoff push because if they started today, which they don't, uh, the Cavs would be on the outside looking in. Yeah, Mike, I, I want to get back to the, the Redskins for just this. I'm, never, I'm sorry, the commanders. The, you, you, um, you can call them whatever you want to. Oh, okay. Well, you know, Don and Frank, and we were talking uh, earlier uh, with Mike Schulte, uh, and it, it occurred to me the Redskins or the, the Commanders, the Redskins don't have a band anymore, do they? I, I do believe they do. Um, they just haven't really figured out the fight song thing. Oh, okay. They were definitely doing auditions for the band. Oh, they were okay because we remember. Uh, all of us. I mean, when when the uh, Redskins band was so popular, it was a, like a lot a lot of pageantry. And oh, they would have they would have featured they would have featured pre presentation. They were they were that band was fantastic. Right. And uh, yeah, they, I guess that's Daniel Snyder again, right? They 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 they, they still exist. They're here. They have uniforms and. Um, the fight song has been a little bit of a uh, issue. I haven't. I don't even know what it is anymore, um, or if they've actually released it. That was something that was supposed to be done a while ago. But I do know that there is this entity that exists somewhere in the DC netherworld that is known as the Washington Commanders Band. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure they can't wear the headdress anymore, and all the rest of it that went with it. I mean, it was. It was a show by itself, and uh, it was. It's a shame. It was like you know, seeing the Ohio State band or the Michigan band or 
you know, they, they were the a Penn focal State, point of uh, pro football. Uh, yeah, Penn State White, a uh, blue band, right? Is Same that thing. The, uh, yeah, big, big band. Go ahead, Roger. No, I'll tell you, Mike, I'm, I'm glad to know about that because uh, we were talking, like I said, we were talking about bands, and then it hit me, uh, wait wait a minute, what about the Redskins band? You know, that used to yeah, be both so them and the, um, the, Baltimore, the Baltimore Ravens, they both still have bands. Oh, the Ravens had one. I didn't know that. Okay. No, the Ravens either. never actually didn't. They've always had, even when they didn't exist, uh, the Baltimore Colts band still existed, and then afterwards they did become the Baltimore Marching Ravens. I think is the name of their their their, their organization now. But yeah, oh, they still okay. exist. Yeah, because I will the, say I they're mean, a minute into the third the third period. It's still one one. One one. Uh, yeah, still one one. And uh, well, that's that, 19, that's good for the Flyers. Yeah, nineteen nineteen to go in the third period. Well, the the other thing uh, is that we wanted to talk a little bit about soccer, and uh, uh, there are uh, some games that uh, have played in the last uh, week. And uh, any surprises uh, to you, Mike? Well, I mean, the biggest one I think is the surprise for everybody, and that would be Morocco becoming first team, the first African team since 2010 to make it into the quarterfinals, uh, beating Spain. On, in a penalty shootout, uh, Croatia over Japan was also a little bit of a surprise to me. Um, not because you know Croatia were the defeated finalists last year, but I just thought four years on, this team is going to run out of steam at some point, and they just seem to be able to keep going and conjuring the wins out of nowhere. Um, the other biggest surprise was in the Portugal game. Uh, they had the biggest score line, what was it, 6-1 uh, over Switzerland. A, because I didn't think the Swiss were going to get beat that bad, but because Cristiano Ronaldo, for the first time in 38-odd um, game, international games, did not start. Um, he's kind of become this superstar that nobody wants to deal with anymore. He only so plays 20 team. minutes. He plays a very... Buried a hat trick while he was out. Yeah, and they played, and it was proof of concept. They played. This is the team in Portugal that's known as a defensive team. Fernando Santos absolutely hates scoring goals. He thinks it's the worst thing that you can do in soccer, and he beats them everything to go nil nil in the penalties. But he swaps out Cristiano Ronaldo, and they look like uh, the European version of Brazil. It was kind of amazing. I didn't expect it. So. They'll be a, um, a force to be reckoned with. Lots of good games coming up this weekend. Um, England, France. Uh, you know, France have looked really good in trying to defend their tournament. Tournament, but England are one of the highest scoring teams in the tournament. They've been really good. Um, uh, we have the opportunity if Argentina is able to beat the Netherlands and Brazil wins, beats Croatia. We could get an Argentina and Brazil semifinal. That would be a ton of fun. Um, you know, it'd be interesting. That, and I have not got you know I have my position on it to begin with, <laughs> but I have not seen any television ratings. You know, they were so overwhelmed with what was going to happen before the before the series began as to how many people were going to be watching this. Uh, not only uh, you know once the United States was eliminated, how much did that affect it? 
How are the ratings been? I know the ratings are down, but that's because of the time of the year. It's in, it's being played in the middle of the day in November and December. People are at work. People are at school. It's not the summertime. Kids don't have the ability to watch. I'm going to guarantee, though, that the I would be willing to bet that uh, the match on Saturday between the U.S. and the Netherlands and the match on Black Friday between the U.S. and England were among the highest-rated matches uh, in the World Cup. I know that they know that this was going to be down. Um, it'll be, and then you'll see it when it comes here in 2026, and the uh, it's back to the summer. The ratings will be through the roof. Uh, the attendance will be through the roof, and everything will be right as rain again. But it's the the uh, it's the timing. I mean, you can't expect to have super ratings for games that are starting at 5 o'clock on the East Coast uh, and most of them all being over by 4 before people get off of work and get out of school. Well, let me tell you, Mike, the uh, students wanted to have the uh, uh, World uh, Cup uh, on the big screen in classrooms. And we said that not, it's not going to happen, okay? And you may have done the same thing. And then I caught some with the uh, Chromebooks laptops watching the uh, World Cup, and I had to put the kibosh on that and told them to shut it down. And then so what I explained to them was that when I was growing up, that the World Series started at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and uh, it was during the week. They have found that hard to believe. And I said, and because of that, when I was in school, that I missed the, one of the greatest games of all time, Don Larson's perfect game in the World Series. They absolutely did not believe me, but then uh, another teacher confirmed everything, that that's the way it was. He- Roger, you can tell them about a time before. Uh, I think if we even go back to 90 uh, in this country, the World Cup games weren't shown live. They were shown on tape delay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, but so you have the fan, the fan base now. I mean, you well, know, we're going to end it right there because Doug Hamilton is standing by waiting to go for our next segment. But, Mike, once again, thank you very, very have much. We'll week, do it Mike. again next week. and. We'll see what happens with your predictions to see whether you come out on top or not. Okay. All right. You guys have a good one. You too, Mike. Take care. Take care. Thank you. Well, we're going to get Doug Hamilton on right away, our PGA professional in Baltimore, Washington area. And uh, Doug, of course, we talk off with year in and year out, day in and day out on a, on a Wednesday night. But uh, we're going to go back to football to start the program tonight because I don't know what the situation is with Jackson. I heard that uh, – Harbaugh was saying week to week, uh, what's the latest situation? You're right there. Doug, uh, what do you got on your quarterback? We've got uh, rivalry week. We've got the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, on the docket this week, and Tyler Huntley will be your starting quarterback. Um, You know, I don't know that Lamar has officially been ruled out. He wasn't spotted at practice doing anything, and I believe that – he has a sprain in his PCL with his knee, which I watched that game. I didn't really see what happened there. Next thing I knew, he was, you know, leaving the field. So, um, you know, Harbaugh claimed it was 
you know, days slash weeks, you know, so I'm not sure, um, you know, the exact, you know, nature of it. I know that it's not a, it's not a season ending injury, but I believe it's going to take a little bit of time for him to stay off his feet and, and uh, let it heal a little bit. So, I mean, I, I would assume he'd be out about two weeks. Roger. Well, how about the uh, Tennessee Titans, Doug, uh, firing mm-hmm. the uh, general manager yesterday? And in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. I know you are not a fan of Philadelphia fandom. I know that. <laughs> but uh, the uh, there was a lot of talk about uh, people that were at the game on Sunday said that the, uh, uh, the Eagle fans were yelling up at the uh, – uh, to, to the owner's box about the, the how could you let uh, Brown leave Tampa? Right. I mean uh, mm-hmm. t- uh, Tennessee, and mm-hmm. uh, I guess maybe it got to, to a little bit uh, the owner a little bit upset, and and yesterday they pulled the uh, the trigger on the general manager. That was surprising. Yeah, I I, um, I can't say that I'm not a you know Philadelphia in, you know, fan whatsoever. I know that, you know, the the Washington football team here uh, is in the family uh, a big deal. So, obviously, the Eagles are a very close rival and, and not one that they look upon kindly. I think they may hate the Cowboys more so than, than the Eagles. But, um, you know, I don't know. I think that Philadelphia has a pretty strong and rich history of, of some good sporting, you know, venues uh, all, all the way around across the big four. So, um, you know, I know that was also a talking point that the three, Dave Brown, I know that the guy they fired, Robinson, they chronicled some of his maneuvers over the course of time. And, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, he, they, they, the Tennessee football team, you know, played pretty well for a period of time under Rabel and, and you know, advanced to some pretty high levels in the playoffs. So, um, you know, I mean, I, I mean, could you say as much about, you know, the, the Los Angeles Rams, um, you know, I mean, they're, they've traded away how many of their draft picks they're, right. uh, Staff, Stafford's done for the year. Aaron Donald's not playing tomorrow night. Cooper cups hurt. Um, now they got Baker you know, Mayfield. So, he's going to be, he's he's going to be the starting quarterback. Well, I, I don't know if he can read that fast in terms of the playbook or not, but, um, you know, the, the Rams are, are hurting right now. And, and a lot of those draft picks that they gave away, you know, for, for different pieces that allowed them to win a Super Bowl. I think they're, you know, a lot of those teams are pretty excited about the fact that they're 3-9 and nine right now. So, um, you know, draft capital is pretty important. And, uh, you know, depending on how you value winning a Super Bowl and and, uh, and what you give up to what you get um, to, to get that, it's – you know, I mean, they they may go through a, a lean period of time here in the next couple of years without draft picks and, and a lot of injuries that that are difficult for them to to really do anything. Um, you know, in so much as you know the escalating salaries of of all these players they have on their team that that they you know tried to to bring in there and um, yeah, it's a problem. But you know, all these GMs at one point in time they look great and then they wake up the next day and they don't look so great. So um, then they're done that. Well, well, you're right yeah, about the Titans because uh, you know when they fire the they, they fire a guy that's been consistently a winner. I mean, the, the Titans have yeah. not been a, a down the dumps team. Uh, they lost, no. you know, they lost this last weekend, but 
Mm-hmm. What are they, seven and five, I think. And uh, yeah, and uh, they you know, they've been a consistent winner, and yet he gets yeah. fired. Well, and I they think... got a great coach. I think Rabel, Rabel's a oh, terrific coach. Terrific, terrific. Yeah, I think. You know, watching Tennessee play, I think Vrabel would be the kind of coach that you'd love to play for, but if you're opposing him, you, you probably think he's a smug, arrogant, you know, bleep, bleep. Um, but, you know, for me, I, you know, shifting back, I think after watching the the Ravens limp through, a, you know, a, a, a barely win over, over a really bad Denver football team, that was really difficult to watch that game. That was just... I mean, no offense. They couldn't generate anything. It was, it was really pathetic to watch that. I, I think Greg Roman is is probably solidified himself as someone who's on the hot seat. Um, well, you know, the he's, Cats he's are not... still tied at one one twelve minutes to go in the third period. Roger, go to it. No, another example, uh, Doug, of a team that, that gave up a lot of draft picks and probably going to uh, pay the price for several years. Okay, yeah. uh, and the, the Saints. Okay, same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, if the uh, the draft was uh, tomorrow, the Eagles would have, I believe, the uh, number five pick from mm-hmm. the Saints. You know, and yeah, just like um, you were uh, alluding uh, to uh, uh, the Rams, uh, probably they'd be right there in that like five, six, seven, I guess, right? Yeah, maybe four, four to eight, something like that. Yeah, I, I looked it up the other day. The Rams had traded. I think the. Um, it's still one of the Lions picks that they had traded in that whole Stafford golf mess. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think the, the Lions probably have a top five pick, um, you know, but to your point, Roger, it, the thought occurs if you're going to trade AJ Brown, you know, to a team and, and get a first round draft pick or, or whatever you get for him. And then they turn around and they draft a wide receiver. Like to me, I, I just, I've never understood you know, teams that do that, they, they trade a position player and then they get a pick for them and then they draft the exact same thing. Right. That doesn't, I've never understood that. I don't, I don't understand. Well, they didn't want to pay uh, AJ Brown. That was the, uh, that was the issue supposedly. Mm-hmm. And, and they weren't, they didn't know whether uh, they would get them. And then, but then the Eagles make the deal and they sign a long-term uh, contract with them. Right. So, right. you know, you, you don't figure out a lot of things. And Brable said that uh, they would, uh, over his dead body, would they ever trade uh, Brown? And mm-hmm. and then next thing you know, and, of course, then his word looks uh, bad. And that's why you wonder uh, whether they were talking about it in the morning show on WIP today, that uh, you wonder whether it was really Brable that was uh, getting a, a little perturbed about the moves the general manager made that uh, he was in disagreement with. Who knows? Well, you never know. That you be, never really know. Be... Only thing you know is if you're if you're a Cleveland fan, you know they're going to keep drafting quarterbacks until they come up with somebody that can play. <laughs> well, that that was yeah. the the, uh, the famous quote from Bill Bill Parcells, and he he had said, uh, "If you want me to make you dinner, at least let me shop for the groceries." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, talking, Go ahead, about Roger. The Browns, talking about the Browns, uh, I met a uh, a woman, I, I don't know, I, she may be a, a, a teacher at the school, uh, but we were talking about uh, Deshaun Watson, and her daughter uh, went to school, graduated from Gainesville High School with him, and mm-hmm. she told me that he's been in her house 
uh, with, uh, you know, multi-students, uh, female, male. Now, you got to remember, this is back in high school many years ago. But she said nothing but a, a gentleman. And that's what everybody had said, you know, when he was in uh, high school and when he went to Clemson. But, uh, you know, it just goes to show you, you never know, and it's especially mm-hmm. the effect of, of money and, and stardom, celebrity business. Sure. Yeah. Doug, let me ask you a question off the wall. Prime time. Is he going to go to Col- Is he going to be able to go to Col- Colorado and do what he did in black in the in the black conferences? Well, I don't know. Um, I mean, uh, he's had a proven track record. Um, I guess we'll see if he can step his game up to the Division One level and and, and uh, be able to to recruit and and turn that program right. around. I mean, Colorado hasn't been worth a turn for a period of time here, so. I mean, it's widely known. That, I don't know if it was Colorado or Colorado State. They were, you know, neck and neck, I think, with the biggest party schools in the nation. Um, so, um, you know, I don't know what the allure or attraction would be other than to play for Deion Sanders. Um, you know, but the recruiting scheme, I think, is, I mean, if you're good at it, you're good at it. Maybe he can get uh, some of those. He he had a couple of really good players on his his team. Let me just say, while we were so. talking, Washington took a two to one lead over the Flyers. I didn't have a chance okay. to know that. Is. Go ahead. Who scored? I I don't know who scored. I got a kid. I okay. got the game ball, but I can't. You know, I didn't wasn't following who okay. scored. I don't know. Well, yeah, yeah. He, well, uh, Doug, he did have some good players at uh, Jackson mm-hmm. State, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, he did. He had. He had, um, I think that was that was a big story. I don't know if it was last year or year before that he had a five-star recruit that went there. Um, that was, you know, between there Quarterback. and obviously some of the yeah some of the big schools. So, you know, that transfer portal is a big deal. Um, oh yeah, right? you know you yeah. you can create. We already said his crap. son's going to be the quarterback. His son was the quarterback for him this year, and he's already yeah. said that. In fact, he. And the son hasn't even put into the portal or anything yet. But when right. he made his announcement, uh, when he accepted the job, he said his son was going to be the quarterback. Right. Well, that's you. You can craft a team, you know, right quick through through that draft portal or that uh, transfer portal, rather to, you know, get people to to move around that for whatever reason, you know, um, closer to home, um, you know, or, or you know, I don't know. There's probably a multitude of reasons why. You know, there's. All these schools, you look at, you know, these SEC schools, and then they're just stacked with, you know, all these different talents at different positions. And if you find yourself, you know, third or fourth on that depth chart, you, you feel like you want to, you know, be able to go somewhere else and, and play and, and uh, you know, have a good time, you know, through your four years of, of uh, athletic you know, eligibility. So, um, yeah, we'll see how, how he does with his recruiting and how he fills his staff and, and, um, and what happens there. It's uh, probably a story to watch. Well, I respect Roger. him that he he got out of the media and went in and started at the bottom, really, you know, as far as the level of uh, football. And I think that he is going to be very uh, successful. And, uh, you know, you see a, a number of other uh, people now. You know, uh, I, I don't know whether I'm, uh, this, this is just a, a feeling I have. I think that Philip Rivers, you know, he's coaching in high school and, and very successful. And I'm just wondering if somebody would come after him uh, to, uh, to uh, on a college program. I mean, he's got like nine kids. That's the only thing. You know, right. he likes to be settled. But, uh, 
Yeah, he he really uh, has done a good job at the high school level. Now, let's face it. I mean, he was a great quarterback, so he's got the expertise and the knowledge. You know, he could put put a staff together. I mean, people would you know probably flock to him. You know, and it let he'll uh, let the the coordinate the coordinators do their jobs. I think that kind well, of guy. Maybe maybe Peyton well, I think the other factor is going to be too that uh, you know look how much heat he he got last year. I'm talking now about Prime. How much time he got uh, heat last year for the players that he brought in, and and uh, of course the great uh, coach at Alabama said, "How can he who he be? He bought all these players." And uh, <laughs> so it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to how he makes his way through a very complicated uh, recruiting process to bring people into Colorado to play. I, I want to see how he makes out with that. But yeah. but he and Saban are uh, best friends when they're doing Aflac. Oh yeah, okay. they're partners oh, yeah. in that. Yeah, <laughs> so, well, they're partners in making money, but they were partners they're in right. going at the players. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those are great commercials too, don't you think, Doug? Yeah, there's there's a couple good ones. I like that. <laughs> uh. <laughs> the uh, what is it? The goat. Right. The goat in the dock. <laughs> <Duck. laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me ask you, other fellas, another question out of the dark. I, I we didn't have a chance to talk about it in the first half hour because we had so many other things. But uh, we'll get back to baseball before Doug jumps off. But uh, did you guys have a chance to see uh, the the uh, um, oh shit, get the TCU game, the Horn Frogs? Yes. Did you guys have a chance to see that game? I watched. No, it, yeah. I did not. I thought it was. I, I, and maybe Doug, you saw it too. I thought it was the greatest mm-hmm. quarterbacking job I had ever seen yeah. in college football. I don't think there was ever. Yeah. I don't think there was a game close to what Doug did in that game for TCU to come up with a loss. I, I mean, yeah. even if I forget losing the, 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 the right. performance he put on and the game right. he played, one of the greatest games I've ever seen in any sport. Yeah, he certainly. Uh, imposed his will towards the end of that game to get that thing tied. I, I, I don't know. I mean, there, there were a couple of plays down there near the end zone uh, in that overtime that, you know, I, I thought maybe one of those was a touchdown, but unfortunately they they didn't they didn't get in and and just no. know, lost to a field goal. But um, that was a heck of a loss for him to absorb, and, and thankfully oh. they they still got into the playoffs. Um, and he's obviously Terrible. still a Terrible. Heisman Heisman candidate. But I tell you. I watched some of that Michigan-Purdue game. I was pretty impressed with the quarterback from Michigan. He can really sling it, that guy, McCarthy. Oh, he's he good. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, he, he throws it all over the field with a really effortless motion, um, you know, and, and he's he's right. not necessarily the guy that you talk about. I mean, obviously, Blake Corum and they're running hard-nosed, hardball style and defense and whatnot, but that guy, that guy J.J., can he can absolutely just spin it, man. He he's I, I like him. He's good. Well, yeah. I'll tell you, Doug. I know your wife uh, likes him. I I love Stedman Bennett uh, yeah. at uh, Georgia. I'll tell you what. I give him so much credit. Uh, you know, he was on the bench. Thank God uh, that he got the chance. And of course, then the uh, fellow that was uh, there Over with him. We're out of time, Doug. Thank you once again. We'll mm-hmm. get together next week. A lot of new stuff. Roger, thank you. All our guests tonight. Yeah. We'll get together next week. Thank you. Take care, Brian. Yes, Have a Take great night. God bless. Take care. Thank you, Frank. Thank you.
Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation. The men and women of the United States Armed Forces, your men, please support us, Starter Sir. When you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please let them know you know they're there. Not everybody wearing a uniform is a troublemaker. There are a lot of good guys out there and good girls. So please, please help them out when you have a chance. Just let, give them a smile, a handshake, whatever you want to do. These programs are dedicated to those who have lost their lives in line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcat, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, Sergeant Thomas Bainter, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Henler, Sergeant Tom Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Office, Patrolman Charlie Condit, Tarpon Springs, I'm sorry, Tarpon Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department. Sergeant Chris Levake, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. Patrolman Anapo Crispin, Lakeland PD. Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police. Patrolman Josh Myers, Nassau County Sheriff's Department. Captain Matt Laterno, Philadelphia Fire Department. Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Artis Hope, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department. Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Chief Alpha, Longo Key Police Department. Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. Deputy Mike Hargrave, Cardinalis County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Blaine Lane, Polk County Sheriff's Department. And uh, Deputy Jeff Chris Taylor, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10 7 at this point in time, at some time you're going to be. We'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and the light on your fields and the sunshine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your family always in the palm of his hand. Good night, God bless, and have a great week. Shemarek ma'ilama, Shemahezahilma, Sona Shenevorat Fed, Hakuig again ma'ilama.